Sometimes I feel like saying amen, let's hit the house and go to lunch right after that song. It just, there's something about song God has designed our hearts that there's a way that truth goes a little bit deeper. It goes deep in ways when we sing it that's not quite maybe the same when we simply read it. And uh, Rich, thank you for your leadership and... uh, and all those that serve by singing and playing. What a great blessing that we have as a church with those willing to serve in different ways. Can we go to the Lord for just one more moment and ask his help to express our dependence on him? Father, show us our insufficiency, but then show us your sufficiency. Show us our weakness, but then show us and remind us and help us celebrate that when we think our faith will fail, you will unfailingly Hold us fast. I pray that we might rest in that. We might rejoice in that. As those in whom you delight, not because of anything in us, but because you loved us. And you loved us in your son. May we ever prize. May we ever savor as that which tastes best, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that we have in Christ Jesus. This morning we pray in his name, amen, amen. You know the art of conversation when you're trying to get the other person to talk, and there's all types of the basics. What's your name? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? When's your birthday? What's your favorite color? And there's the variety of things Have you ever been to such and such? Well, one question that I like to ask is on the subject of snacks. What is your preference? Salty or what? Sweet. All right. You could even say bitter or sweet. This is personal to me because in the last few years of seminary, when I was driving home in 2009 and 10 from Charlotte, every Saturday afternoon, I began to have a tradition When I would leave seminary and I knew I had so many weekends left as I was moving towards graduation in in, uh, in 20, I guess that was 2011, I would stop at a gas station and I would get one bag of salt and vinegar potato chips and a sweet tea and I would enjoy those on the way back to Greenville and that, you know what that salt and vinegar potato chips are like and they just got that, that, that tang like that. But that, in that case, is like a bitter that's desirable. But that's not the case where the children of Israel find themselves here in the end of Exodus 15. And so this morning as we come to our passage, I want you to think about what the presenting issue that the gospel is going to apply to here, and that's this. 
It's easier to grumble than to express gratitude. In fact, some of us can make an art form out of grumbling, all right? You're good at it. You might even, you might even kind of say, it's my spiritual gift, which it really isn't, of course. It's just easier to complain than to trust. Like falling out of bed, if you roll off the bed, there's only one place you're going. It's straight down, okay? And here's, that brings us to the big idea, the truth as we think about going from bitter to sweet, and that's this. Even as we'll consider the grumbling of the children of Israel, and that's this. As John Piper has says, as God is the gospel, so God, his word and our response to it is our antidote to grumbling. God is our antidote to grumbling which really is just faithless ingratitude. God is our antidote to grumbling and its fruits. All right? So, I want us to consider these six verses with this simple outline as we work our way through it. And we'll look at each verse in succession. So there's a sense in which this morning is a bit of a departure. Every week when you're preaching 30 or 35 verses, it's impossible to have what you might call verse-by-verse exposition. It's big idea expositional preaching. Sometimes we focus, but it's impossible in 45 minutes to do verse by verse, unless we were to make the text much smaller. But I think this morning, you'll see that we'll be in the text a good bit more. So first, I want us to see in verses 22 through 24, what I call the prologue, very simple outline. The prologue is the presenting situation. Second, in verses 25 and 26, is the solution. And then third, in verse 27, the epilogue, that is water and shade at Elam. It's kind of like maybe that literary term we say, the denouement, kind of the, the falling action. Well, first the prologue in the presenting situation. And really this, this morning, the focus I want us to have is to recognize this tendency, this temptation to be grumble, to be grumbly, to grumble. I think some of you know there's that basic question we ask of kids, are you what? Are you grumbly, hateful, rather than humbly grateful, right? Kids, is that right? Did I get that right? Are you hateful? Are you grumbly hateful or are you humbly grateful? Where is your heart? Jesus says the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And actually, there's only one quote that we'll see from the children of Israel. But first, the prologue, the presenting situation. You might notice this, notice here, that it doesn't simply say Moses led Israel out from the Red Sea or that Israel set out from the Red Sea. It says then Israel made, or then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And the reason that little word made there, you, we find that word made, 
is that in the Hebrew, there's this unique, uh, if you will, form of a verb that's causative. In In simply saying, they set out, we say Israel was caused, they were made, they were forced to set out. And if you will call, you want to call this a forced three-day march, so be it. It's one way to think of it. And what had just subsided in their ears, you think about the way that it ended, the song of Moses, where Moses and the people of Israel are singing this, I will sing to the Lord, he's triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And then as we saw last night, the very character and works of God are celebrated in song. They're brought to remembrance. God's greatness is seen, they even ask in verse 11, who's like you, O Lord, among the gods, who is like you, majestic in holiness. And then there is Moses and Aaron's sister Miriam, the prophetess, tambourine in her hand, and she's leading the women. They come out after her. They've all ringing these, you know, rattling these tambourines. They're dancing around, and Miriam is singing, and she's calling them and all of Israel to do this, to sing as the response of God's work on their behalf, to rescue them from their enemies right through the middle of Yam Suf through the middle of red of the Red Sea. And it's sing to the Lord. It's festive. It's joyful. It's celebratory. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he is thrown into the sea. Now watch the numbers here. Three days, one leader. Two million Israelites likely. And it says this. Look at, the, look at the despair that you might have found here. Remember, they're in the wilderness. This is not something that looks like the Continental Divide in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Like, this is not a land filled with lakes and running fresh Streams of cold, drinkable water. We read this. Here's the presenting situation. They've been made under Moses' leadership to leave the Red Sea. It's behind them. They go into Shur, which is the idea of the eastern wall of protection for the people of Israel, that word Shur. And it says, they went... And if some of you know how difficult it is to take a family of six and stop for gas and a restroom break on the interstate, imagine leading two million people through the wilderness. Imagine the details, the questions, the concerns, the hand raised. Look, can we take a restroom break? I mean, you just got to imagine this. But it comes to this single thing. In our prologue, the presenting situation, verse 23, or verse 22, they found no water. Now, the negating on this is that they did not find. You know how frustrating this is. In our house, about once a week, Cheryl and I are looking for our phone. Will you call my phone? Okay, where is it? All right. Is anyone looking for their phone in their house? Am I the only one? Yeah, okay, thanks. 
It's not that you say you, you found, you don't say I found no phone. You're saying I have not found my phone, right? I have not found my phone. They were looking. It was a desperate need. And here's the presenting situation. They found no water. And then come to verse 23. And you might, it makes you think about for the moment, what is it right now as a Christian, what is the glaring need in your life, right? And even as I referenced to the high schoolers a few moments ago, that our prayer for them is that they would be people of one thing. They would be young adults who would make it their ambition to seek the Lord in his temple and gaze upon his beauty all the days of their life. For us, as those who name the, name the name of Christ, if you will, the, our search for water every day is the life-giving water of walking with God. And you can give this multiple expressions, walking with God like Enoch the end of Matthew 6, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness with the promise that all these things that the Gentiles are seeking for will be added to them. It looks like John 15 where Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, and if you'll do that, you'll do what? You'll bear much fruit. And that's the good news. The bad news is if you're a good fruit bearer, I'm gonna prune you and give you a little bit of pain Because you'll eventually appreciate and love and delight in the days of greater fruitfulness. Maybe you weren't, and maybe you will not be with two million people after a three-day march in the wilderness. But you'll come to a moment where there's something, a legitimate thing that you need, and you cannot find it. Maybe it's something other than water. And they come tomorrow. Look in verse 23. In this verse, so that we do not miss it, Moses uses this word mara three times as a noun, a proper noun, a place, a feminine noun. When they came to mara, the water of mara, and therefore at the end of the sentence, it was named mara. But when you read, because it was bitter, that's the adjective form of the noun mara. Like, how was your day? It was a bitter day. (laughs) How was your date? It was a bitter date. Something like that, okay? Like, not good. The opposite of sweet. First, they could not find water. And then when they found it, It was undrinkable. They could not eat it. It's like that time in the Old Testament that there was death in the pot. Do you remember? And they're like, this is uneatable. And maybe some of you have made a dish and you tasted it and you realize, my family can't eat this. I've got to start all over. Maybe you've had that experience. I think I did that once. Too much salt. And what Moses is emphasizing here is not only did they come and find 
no water, or they were unable to find water, but when they finally found it, and apparently it was enough in volume, but it was bitter. It was undrinkable. That's the prologue. I want us now, in the presenting situation, I want us to see their response. It's very simple. We only have a record of one thing. Surely they said more than this, but this is selective narrative, and so Moses is giving the essence of what happened here. He's telling us, God is telling us through the pen of Moses what he wants to know, the basic mind, mindset, the frame of mind of the people of Israel. And they ask what Jesus anticipated with his disciples in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's very basic. What shall we drink? What shall we drink? In fact, let's turn there just for a moment. Matthew 6 and verse 31. And here, the emphasis is not grumbling. Jesus is saying in his manifesto to his disciples, And what fallen life or kingdom life in a fallen world was going to look like is that they need not be anxious. They don't need to ask, verse 31, they don't need to be anxious and ask, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He says, that's a common concern of those who do not know me, of those who do not walk with me. He says, let me tell you something. With what you know and what you're concerned about, that's trumped with your heavenly Father knows about what you need. He's an expert about how to outfit you and provision you for your pilgrimage that's right in front of you. And you get this when he encourages us to prayer in the next chapter in Matthew 7, when he says, look, just keep asking. Just keep knocking. Just keep going for it. Ask, seek, and knock because here's why. You're used to being generous with your children. And if you're used to being generous with your children and you're evil, look what he says in Matthew 7 and verse 10 or verse 11. He says, if you then who are evil, Matthew 7 and verse 11, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, Moses at this point does not have the benefit of, hey, while the people of Israel are grumbling at me here at Mara because the water is so bad, let me just open my New Testament to the Sermon on the Mount and remind myself that I don't need to be anxious. He didn't have that. And we don't see him engage the people with an argument here. And I want you to notice what faith and dependence look, the spirit of prayer looks like there in the prologue. We'll see that as we move on here to the solution in the statute. So first, we've seen in the prologue the presenting situation. Moses he makes Israel set out from the Red Sea, even as the rattling of the tambourines, the melody of Moses and Miriam's song is still probably, they're probably singing it to themselves those first few miles as they head away from the Red Sea into the wilderness of Shur. 
but there's no water. And then the water they find is bitter. And they grumble against Moses. Now I want to ask you a question. Kids, I want to ask you a question. I want to have the eyes of the kids just for a moment. If you were to go home today and ask your mom and dad, Dad, Mom, do you think I'm a grumbler? Do you think I have a habit of being grumbly? Being unhappy with what I have in the moment, being dissatisfied with how the Lord has brought my life to this moment, what mom's made for dinner, or the fact that I'm not starting on the soccer team and I'm riding the bench, or my teacher just gave me a B and I think my work deserved an A. Or it seems like my brother always gets to sit in the front and I have to sit on the hump in the back. Assignment, if you're under 18, go home. And sometime today, tomorrow, ask your mom and dad, do I grumble? Now let's let's apply this to adults. Ask your mate, do I express dissatisfaction in a chronically unhealthy spiritual way? Do I express dissatisfaction in things and situations that really reveals and speaks to an inner dissatisfaction between me and God and God's prerogative in how he has set forth my life? Do you grumble? Why do you grumble? I think an application here is to give your kids, give your mom and dad the right to tell you the truth, whether or not you're a grumbly kid. Husbands and wives, give each other the right, grant each other that level of honesty to say, you know what, honey, to be honest, you are kind of dissatisfied. You're kind of frowny. Yeah, am I a frowny person or am I, yeah. And then just love each other Right, speaking the truth in love. Don't beat, don't take my sermon and weaponize it with your mate. <laughs> Parents, do not do that with your children. That's ungracious. Do that in a way and then bring them to the cross. The cross is the antidote for grumbly hearts. And so here's the solution though. Look, look how simple it is. Look in Exodus, in chapter 15, and we're going to look now at verses 25 and 26. I love this. Moses doesn't argue. He isn't like, wait, wait, guys, I'm, I'm dealing with the water treatment team. We'll, we'll get it. Give us two more hours. We'll get this just right. Yeah, and a little more phosphate. Yeah. I'm calling the nearest consultant over in Goshen and Ramsey. We're bringing in experts. He doesn't beat them up and say, "Why are, oh, you guys are always complaining. It's like he gets on his knees. Remember, it was Moses that understood. It was at the end of Exodus, Exodus 2 when he described God's heart for the people of Israel. 
that their cries came up to him, that he remembered his covenant, that he saw them in their afflictions, and he knew. He knew. Like God, no one needed to see God minutes on the status, a report of a field trip to the people of Israel. God, we thought you should know how your people are doing, so we'd like to describe how things are going. No, he knew. And so with that knowledge that God is the one who hears our cries, who remembers his covenant, who sees us in our afflictions, and who knows and needs no minutes, who needs no email to be apprised of the status of his people. Whose people's names are engraven on his hands. It's to Yahweh that Moses cries. We don't even know the content of what he prayed. All we know is that the single description of what he did in response to his people's grumbling was to cry to them. Brothers and sisters, if you're struggling, here's an application. If you are struggling to find Jesus strong and kind, if you are struggling to sing with full heart, Jesus is my hope in life and death, open the Psalms. Open the Psalms and read and sing and recite the Psalms. Read them with another person and see why Athanasius said what he said, that the uniqueness of the Psalms is that where so much of the Bible speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. It's like they give us an instant voice with every emotion, anger and fear and mistrust and skepticism, being completely gutted, believing with the psalmist at times, like David expressed, no one cares for my soul, that we can cry out like Moses in a moment with the bitter waters of Marah in his mouth and saying, yeah, this really isn't going to cut it. And surrounded by two million Israelites saying, what are we going to do? Basically, don't miss this. When he says, when they're asking, what shall we drink? They're like coming up to Moses and sticking their finger in his chest and saying, Moses, you make this right. You brought us here. Now you what? Fix it. And what does he do? He cries out. God, help us pray. Thomas Watson, in his little book that we'll be using in our men's class, The Godly Man's Picture, has 24 descriptions of the godly man. And he says this, a godly man, and you might as well add woman, is a praying man or woman. Murray Brett was telling me that early in the days of his pastorate, when he was, um, he was a, a new pastor in commerce, he said he would always be engaging people and when there were problems, he'd be engaging them in all this conversation and trying to write out arguments for this and that. And then he learned when he came to conflict and challenges to start on his knees. He began first to speak to God about men and then he began to speak to men about God. But look how simple this is, the solution and then the statute. It says he cried to the Lord. 
And we don't know how this happens. It says, and the Lord showed him a log. Just like we don't know the gap between the end of the song of Miriam and Miriam singing it with the tambourine. We don't know exactly how long the children of Israel were encamped there by the Red Sea. The way the story, the way Old Testament narrative is, is then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. We don't really know. And we really don't know how God showed Moses out in the wilderness a log. You know, I'm tending to think of like a six-inch diameter piece of red oak like I have behind my house. And then like Moses, like, oh, okay. And he picks it up and he just into the body of water. And there's no miracle. Don't think, by the way, that in the wood, there was some medicinal property to this wood. This is a supernatural act by God, but that is symbolic to Moses crying out to God is his only response to this crisis, and God saying, here, Moses, there. And somehow Moses understands, we're not told how, to take that log, throw it in the water, and we read this, and the water became sweet. Some other translations say it became drinkable. It's like sweet from bitter to sweet. Or like in Naomi's, this Mara is that same word when Naomi returned with Ruth. And she said, hey, don't call me Naomi any longer. Do you remember this? Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me what? Mara, because my life is bitter. This is the reverse in this case. Now then, I want you to notice briefly something from verse 26, the last part of 25 in verse 26, that I think is a bit counterintuitive to us. I think if I was writing the book of Exodus, I would have written this differently, if I can say it that way. This surprises me. This is like, you're ever going a certain direction, and you're thinking, instinctively, I've got to be turning left here, but the GPS is telling me right. To me, this is a surprising moment where it says, there... As they're lapping up this newly sweetened water, dying of thirst, two million Israelites, not counting their livestock, it says there in that place, he made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, which we're going to see more of in the coming weeks in Exodus 16 and 17, so that here we regard what God was doing as a test. This wasn't simply an accident. This wasn't simply a coincidence. God is testing his people in a moment of apparent insufficiency and of bitterness. But there then he makes a statute for them. Okay? Now, this reminds me, have you ever had this moment, and the reason I think this is counterintuitive Have any of you ever been in a situation where something goes really wrong and immediately after there's always someone in the crowd that thinks we need to immediately prepare a policy and procedure to go with that? Do you all understand what I'm saying? That, That thinks like the blood is still not dried up. You still need to mop the floor over the crisis. But they're like, let's go into an executive session and make sure we have a policy and procedure so that this 
never happens again, okay? And you can respond to that here just a little bit. But God makes this very simple. Because what he's saying is, as God is the gospel, so I as true and living water which can never be taken away from you, I am the antidote to your faithless ingratitude, to your grumbling, to your wondering whether I will be there on every mile of your pilgrimage. And so he says this, You can imagine, they're like, we thought we were going to starve to death. And then he says this, here it is. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. I am the Lord, your healer. Now, kids, who remembers the one disease that you can remember that came upon the Egyptians? It was one of the ten plagues. What was it? Boils. That's exactly right. And so God, in this moment, there at this place, at the water at Marah, which initially meant, which meant bitter, But now they were drinking volumes upon volumes, gallons upon gallons of this sweetened water that symbolically, by God just showing Moses this one log that he throws in, again, no medicinal value in that log. It was God supernaturally acting on behalf of his people to assuage their thirst. He says, here it is. My word is everything. What I have spoken, listen to, pay attention. And Moses gives this so that there's both the voice of the Lord that we're to listen to and to do what is right in his eyes. And he helps us think about, he takes these these, these parts that we can relate to our own organs, our ears, our voice, so that our ears are to be connected to the voice of the Lord and to do what is right in his own eyes. We were discussing this morning in Sunday school that the word came to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. And what is godliness but obedience to Jesus' word, to God's word? Jesus says, if you love me, what? If you love me, you'll do what? What will you do? Say it. You will obey my commandments. Yeah. The proof of love is not, the proof of love is obedience. And then the promise that's annexed to that, he says, I'll be Jehovah Rophe to you. And what God is continuing to distinguish is that I am for you. 
I cannot forget you. You're my own. I'm for you. I'm your God. You'll be my people. There's nothing that can separate you from me. Though Egyptians will know my heavy hand for you, I am Jehovah Rophi. I am the Lord, your healer. Well, finally, I want us to see in verse 27, just this epilogue, the water and shade at Elam. There's a sense in which I was thinking, I think the implication here is that after they left Mara, they came to Elam, and that there were 12 springs of water, it says, and 70 palm trees. And the idea is that they found water, they found re- refreshment, they found rest there in the way that they never thought they would at Mara before God sweetened the water. And like in Psalm 23, it's David understanding the life of a shepherd, the experience of sheep. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What do you get? What do you get when you get the gospel? What do you get when you get Christ? What do you get when you have all the promises of God that are yea and amen in Christ Jesus? You join the scene at the epilogue. You're there at Elam. Not perfectly. We know this, right? Every truth has a counterbalance of a truth that balances it. Christian, and even young kids, if you think, I want to be a Christian, I'm not sure I'm a Christian, I pray that I might be. Here's the reality. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died by the Nazis in Germany, a Lutheran pastor said, That when Jesus bids a man or when he invites a boy or girl to come to himself, he bids him to a cross-bearing life. He bids him come and die. If you would come to Jesus, there is a sense in which you will be at Elam. And you will drink under the shade of the 70 palm trees. You will drink of the absolute perfect soul-satisfying joy that is only found in Jesus. But you will experience difficulties, and it would be wrong to, to paint a picture of the Christian life that, not, that did not show a cross that you must bear. But today, as you go home, and I want you, what's your assignment? Kids, what's your assignment? What are you supposed to ask your mom and dad? Honey, what are you supposed to ask? Very good. Am I a grumbler? There it is, honey. Thank you. That's your assignment. Because if you discover that in fact you are chronically, that is most of the time grumbly, 
then the truth is you probably need a new heart. And if you need a new heart, then until you get that new heart, you're going to find most water like the Israelites found it at Marah. It will be bitter. It will be bitter. You know, it was said of the Lord Jesus that there were these gracious words that were dropping from his lips. People were amazed. You know, how did the Son of God? That's especially amazing when you understood that as Luke describes it, that he knew he, set, he had to set his course unflinchingly on the way to Calvary, to the cross. And yet he was known not for negative and grumbly speech, but for gracious words. What speech, what state of heart is yours? Are you like the children of Israel at Marah before the log is thrown in there by Moses? Or is your water sweet like after the log has been thrown in? Or maybe the water that they found at Elam and they camped. The implication by the fact that they encamped there is that the water was drinkable. That's not, we're not told that, but that's the implication. Where are you? When you leave today, are you going to just think about, wow, they found water. The Israelites found water at Marah. When really what I'm asking us to do collectively as a body is to ask the words that Paul gave to the church at Philippi when he says, do all things, Philippians 2 Philippians 2, and he says, do all things, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or toil or labor in vain. Do you grumble? You see, the people of God were destined not to be grumblers, but to be those on whose lips the praises of their Savior would be found. I ask, have an honest conversation with yourself today. Where is your heart? And you might say, well, you don't understand. You don't understand. Well, I would say this. Two million Israelites at Marah do understand. They were there. They were there, and they saw Moses cry out to the Lord. They saw him throw the log in the water. They discovered that the waters were, in fact, sweet by divine intervention and miracle. Ultimately, you'll never find any water sweet You'll never find any portion of your life sweet apart from the one who gives us living water. The one who says, out of your belly, because of me, out of that will, will flow rivers of living, unending, delighting, satisfying waters of life. To Jesus, let's sing.